for joining us with these podcasts. They are designed to challenge us in the Christian faith. We hope that they do that for you. And we also hope that sometime you will join us at First Christian Church in Malvern. May God bless you. Can anybody tell me what's going on in Corinth from last week's lesson? What, what is happening in Corinth? There's division going on. And most of these things, aren't they based on their culture? Yes. Because what, what type of thing is very big in the Greek and Athens and Corinth culture? Philosophy. Yeah, philosophy. Debates, philosophy, that kind of thing is really big. And Christianity in that first chapter, and Paul realizes that it's about to become a philosophy rather than the life-changing power of Jesus. And they're, they're coming to Christianity with all this philosophy of life, and they're, they're pushing up leaders as great debaters and speakers. And what does Paul emphasize in that first chapter as being the jewel, the power? The message of Jesus Christ and the cross. That there is a power, not in how he presents the message, not in the messenger, not in debates, but in the fact that Jesus Christ shed his blood. I'm curious, uh, for many people, They haven't heard a sermon about the blood in a long time. Kenny was talking last week, that um, uh, last Sunday, about the idea that some have never preached about hell and uh, about Satan. Well, some have never preached about the power of the blood. And I want to spend a little time today on that particular Uh, thing. So now we see what's happening in Corinth. And uh, you'll notice that, that Paul had spent 18 months there trying to get them grounded. He leaves and he gets a letter saying things are a mess. They're going back to their old cultural ways of philosophies and they're not they're not leaving these types of things. So, and the way the Greeks viewed things was success depended upon the size of the audience. So if there was a debater there and he had a huge following, that was success to them. And Paul has to fight all of this thinking. He says, no, no, it's not about Apollos. It's not about me. It's not about Peter. It's not about any of those. So this, this church is starting to get divided, and they're shifting the focus away from God and into preferred leaders. Have you ever seen that happen, maybe, in a church? A preacher that was followed? When the preacher left, everything, boom, just went to pieces. Have you ever seen, anybody seen that? Okay. I've I've seen that in churches where that's happened. Um. 
And, and when that happens, there's this division that, that happens. There's this pride that happens. So the source of power Paul is going to be teaching us is the cross. And we, I want us to look at today, how can there be power in the blood? How can there be power in the cross? Um, so let's start off. Okay, if we look at uh, chapter 2 in Corinthians, verse 1, it just simply says, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. What is Paul trying to make the point here? Was Paul a persuasive preacher? No. No, he wasn't. I mean, he stood up and during the debates where they were debating him and held his ground, but he probably didn't have this booming voice or what they were used to. In fact, we're going to see that they made fun of him. Uh, so he's, he's now turning to them, and I want you to notice he did say this at the beginning. He says, uh, when I came to you, what? Brothers, brethren, yep, brothers. So even though there's this great division that's going on in the church, there still are considered brothers. They are the church. And he says, <clears throat> he, he, he continues to, to try to help them. Now, he said, I didn't come as a trained speaker. Now, when I went to college and I went for Bible major, there was a thing called homiletics, a course I had to take. And you had to stand up in the chapel at Milligan College. And there was actually a church on site rather than the chapel. We went there and you had to preach. And then you were graded on your grammar. You were graded on your presentation. And I, I always kind of chuckled at that because Paul didn't, wasn't graded on any of that. Not, not at all. Uh, turn, someone turn, or everyone turn, to 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 10. Would, uh, would someone read that? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10. For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. <laughs> so much for Paul, isn't it? <laughs> so when you look at that, Paul knew that his speaking was not, he was not this great debater. It, he's admitting it. So in uh, verse 2, he says, and if we look at verse 2, he said in, in chapter uh, 2, we're back to chapter 2, he said, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He said, I, I, I didn't want to know anything except what my message is about in Jesus. That's, that's Him crucified. Uh, so he's acknowledging that uh, his lack of ability uh, is not the point. The point is Jesus Christ, the gospel. Uh, let me ask you a question. And 
You don't have to be a theologian to answer this. Answer it in just regular words. Why do we believe there's power in the blood? We sing a song. There's power in the blood. Would you be free from your burdens of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood, right? Why do we sing that? I think because we, I believe that there is Jesus. There's power in the blood. It's because of Jesus? Well, why the blood? Why, why don't we say there's power in his speech? There's Because he spoke and miracles happened. Or there's power in his touch. Why is there power in his blood? Okay. He, what, what she said was she, he died for our sins. Now, how? I don't understand this blood thing. Do you? I had a, uh, an elder who came to me and says, I don't understand this blood thing. Blood, blood, blood. <laughs> he goes, blood is life. That's the life force. Precisely. Let's go back for a minute. I want to trace this. And Tom, you're dead on. That's what it's about. Tom said it's the life source. Uh, go back to Adam and Eve. Let's go to Genesis. Let's go to chapter 3. And here we are going to see this sinless couple all of a sudden sin. And in chapter 3, by the way, Genesis, uh, on a Sunday night, I'm, I'm waiting to do Genesis. Because <laughs> I want to do at least the first 10, 11 chapters. Uh, <clears throat> and I've been waiting for that. I just Because it's so important. But look at verse 7 in chapter 3. Look at verse 7. Would someone read that, please? And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they so did leaves together and made themselves aprons. Okay, this is the case after Adam and Eve sinned. All of a sudden, they realized they're naked. They had never noticed that before. And... Uh, so what did they do about it? Cover, covered themselves. They covered themselves with, they sewed fig leaves together. Okay. Verse 11. Someone read that one. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Okay. So, God knows, of course, he knew anyway, but he's revealing this to man, that they have sinned. He said, who told you? Well, when you sin, that whole world of sin opens up, doesn't it? And look at verse 21. Made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Okay. God says what you made was not good enough. He's going to fix the problem. So he makes this skin covering of skin, which means he, in all essence, made a sacrifice, killed an animal. Now, the whole Bible, from Genesis to the New Testament through Revelation, is telling us that God's going to fix the problem. And it's going to have to be God who fixes the problem, that when man tries to fix it, it doesn't work. In fact, everything you read in Genesis, the flood, is man's failure with sin. He can't deal with it on his own. His solutions, they just don't work. But God's going to have a solution. Uh, all right, 
Now, let's take a look at Leviticus, and this is what Tom was talking about. Leviticus 17, verse 11. And someone read that. Leviticus 17, verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Okay. So God begins to make a plan, and all through Leviticus, we learn about this offering situation, right? We learn all about this offering situation of sacrifices, of the death of an animal for the sins of people. Now, how many of you in, in uh, Leviticus 17, verse 11, has maybe a little footnote on life is in the blood? Okay, what does, it, uh, what does that say? <clears throat> this verse explains the basis of blood atonement. The life of animals and of humans is in the blood. Okay. Have you ever noticed that when blood stops flowing, death occurs? Uh, or if you lose too much blood, death occurs. Uh, there's an interesting little number in mine uh, that, that says, let me find it here, for the life. And I've got a little number there, a number one besides life. Does anybody have anything there? For life of the flesh is in the blood. And does it say any alternate, anything alternate there? Okay. Mine has the Hebrew word there, and it has a one and it means literally soul. Isn't that interesting? For the soul, the life part of the flesh is in the blood. Life is in the blood. So God devised this plan of giving sacrifices. Now, I gave you a chart, and in that chart, there is sacrificial system. There's one side that says sacrificial system, the five sacrifices in Leviticus. This is the Old Testament way of dealing with sin. You had your burnt offering. You had a grain offering offering and it tells the significance of it the sin offering and this part of the sin offering is really detailed and you'll notice that <clears throat> under elements and the sin offering it says male or female animal without blemish as follows now for for many let me point this out for many it was a male it had to be a male for certain sins. But a bull was given for the high priest and the congregation. A male goat was for the king, a female goat or lamb for the common person, a dove or a pigeon for the uh, slightly poor. When, when Mary and them went in dedication for Jesus, the, they gave a pigeon but there's a tenth of an ephah of flour for the very poor. I used to study with a Messianic group that we would go down there once a month to Columbus and just do Bible studies. And I asked the question, I said, there's no blood in flour. I said, that has nothing to do with blood. How could that forgive your sin? And he says, oh, oh. You Gentile. And I said, what? 
He said, you, you talk like a Gentile. He said, even in the flower offerings, blood is added. Well, it doesn't say that. Well, it is assumed, <laughs> he goes. And, and so all these sin offerings, blood was required. Now, did the Old Testament system of offerings, did that work? Did it truly forgive a person of their sins? Why? Because it wasn't sufficient enough to uh, save a person because uh, it takes it up. <laughs> Only God can forgive. Only God can forgive. Yeah. The qu real question is, who did we offend? God. Yeah, you're right. So who is it that needs to forgive us? God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God gives his perfect son, and that's why I believe in the Trinity people, God, Jesus, is God in the flesh. He is the son of God. He is deity. And he says, I forgive you. And he does that by shedding his blood on a cross, which is a, a symbol of a curse. And he dies for you and me. Now that's the power of the cross. That's the power of the blood. And I hope that clarifies a little bit maybe in your minds about the blood and why it's so important. Life is in the blood. So when Jesus sheds his blood, he sheds his life for me. He says, here is the offering. The wages of sin is death. Here is the offering that will give you life. All right, I want to cover that because sometimes we don't meditate upon the power of the blood and the power of the cross. Why it was done the way it was. I mean, Jesus could have been beaten to death. He could have been uh, strangled. He could have been hung. He, but God chose the shedding of his blood on a cross, a symbol of being cursed. Because he died in our place. And we accept that sacrifice. Now, we have to accept the sacrifice, don't we? I mean, what happens if you don't accept Jesus? Are, what's that? You're not forgiven. You're not forgiven. You're not saved. That is another reason why there is salvation in no other name except Jesus. So, Paul is saying, we got to get this straightened out. Now, I gave you that whole chart because I think the whole chart's interesting. The back of it's interesting. And I'm a visual person, and I like to learn that way. So, there it is. <laughs> you can keep it. All right. Now we, we understand this a little bit. And in uh, verse 3, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. How would you feel going before the President of the United States or some official 
and you're to present the gospel. Or you were to go and this great debater is standing before you. I know me, I'd be saying, Lord, help me not mess this up. Lord, I don't know. And so Paul says, I came to you in fear and trembling. He said, because I know I'm not a great speaker. And he says, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. Now that's how their culture thinks. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. God empowered him. So, if you take a look at this, this is kind of the contrast. The power of the cross. There was that culture's way of preaching, and then there's Paul's way, isn't there? There was this idea of being persuasive. In in debate class, have you ever had to take the wrong position and debate it to win? I think of lawyers <clears throat> all the time that maybe have to represent someone that they, <laughs> they think, mm, I don't know if I want to represent this person. And yet they have to be persuasive and they might win. Or how about Paul's way is, I've got the power of God's Holy Spirit in me. I've got the power to move. And he works in not wisdom, as the, the Greeks want, but in the power of God. You've got that same power. It's not just the preacher. It's you. It's everyone. We've got that same power. Now, in verse 5, he says, So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Paul is saying God has supplied the solution. With power. Now, you got to remember, when, when we go back to this third verse that said, I was with you in weakness, Paul is ending his missionary journey. Now, take a look at the chart I gave you of Paul's missionary journey. And there on the right-hand side is Syria, Antioch, Syria. Now Paul starts there, okay? And he goes then to uh, Tarsus, that's his home place in Cilicia. And by the way, he then goes to Derby, not the Kentucky. But he goes to Derby, he goes to Lystra, which he had been on his first missionary journey. He's checking things out. He goes to Iconium. <clears throat> Timothy joins him there. And uh, he goes then to Antioch, Pisidia. Now, I want to stop there just for a minute. When Paul wrote the book of Galatians, he was not writing it to one church. He's writing it to that providence of Galatia and he's writing it to all those other churches there so that that letter is being circulated to all these other churches in that area and you'll notice the green part says Galatia so he goes there and the Holy Spirit doesn't allow him to go into lower part of Asia he goes into the northern part he goes in through Mycenae and he comes to Troas when he's at Troas there comes that vision 
And that vision says, a Macedonian man, he's Greek. Yeah, Paul probably profiled. He probably saw him and said, well, that's a Greek man. That's the Macedonian. He has this vision. And it says, come on over here. Come on over to Macedonia. Look on the far left where it says Macedonia. That's the province. <clears throat> so he sees a man in this vision. Come over and preach to us. Paul hadn't been there. So he goes to Neapolis. And then he goes to Philippi. What happened to Paul in Philippi? Anybody recall? He was imprisoned there. He's thrown in jail. Paul and Silas, remember, they're singing and there's the Philippian jailer. And uh, he, there's an earthquake that takes place. And the Philippian jailer then accepts the Lord during midnight. And he's baptized. And his household is. Um, and then he, he goes on to Amphipolis. He goes to Apollonia. There's an uproar that happens there and a big uh, riot. And they're trying to kill Paul. In, uh, he goes to Thessalonica, uh, Thessalonica, there in Thessalonica. And it is in Thessalonica that this group of people want to kill Paul. And they hunt him down wherever he goes. I mean, even to Corinth. They're following him, hunt, hunting him down. He finally, he goes to Berea. He's, he's received well in Berea. And then he goes to Athens. Okay. He speaks there among all the debaters. And here's that area. And then he goes to Corinth. By the time he gets to Corinth, look how much he's been through. He's been in jail. This trip took about three years. Now, up to this time, then he stays uh, in Athens. I'm sorry, in Corinth for 18 months. He goes to Centuria. And then he goes on over back to Ephesus. And then on back to Caesarea, back in the Holy Land area. Now, <clears throat> I want you to see that this three-year period, what Paul was going through. Because when he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, he had been through an awful lot. This was the longest. Some people say this was 3,000 miles of traveling. And in that time, that is a lot, people. 3,000 miles. I thought it was bad when we took and tried to drive straight through to Florida twice, you know. So, that's, that's what we're, he's dealing with. Now, the cross. The cross had the power to destroy Satan and death. Let me ask you, does, does Satan know, did he know the plan of God? Did he know what Jesus was going to do? What do you think? This is the think part where you can answer. Some say no. Yeah, I don't think he knew either. I think he knew the Son of God. And I think that he might have had an idea that Jesus was going to come to do something. But he didn't know exactly what he was going to do throughout history. He tried to derail Israel so that the Messiah wouldn't come. Throughout history, he, he tempts people, pulls them away from God. But I don't think he fully understood about Jesus. You think he knows today? I think he is in great denial. 
I think that he, if he is not in denial, he's most certainly bent on destroying everything because he knows he's defeated. And that could be. But what Jesus did on the cross destroyed Satan because Satan cannot Here's the sacrifice that's been given. Perfect. Satan can't do anything about that. It's already been given. So, let's look at Hebrews 2.14 a second. Look, let's look at that. Therefore. Oh, there's that word therefore. Always remember when there's a therefore, there's been a bunch of things that's been said ahead of time. But he says, therefore... Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. That verse right, right there tells us that Satan is powerless when it comes to what Jesus did. And our acceptance of that. Do you need Jesus? Yes. We need Jesus. Paul knows that when he's writing to these people. He's, he's, I would say he's probably hitting his head going, What are you doing there? And that verse tells us, and verse 15, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. People, I can't wait for when Jesus comes. For we shall be like him. And this body of flesh will be changed. I, I can't wait for that. I know he's forgiven me of my sins. And I am thankful for that. But boy, I sure pray for the day when Satan has no effect. Because he tries to destroy us. Each and every one of us. So, the cross had power to create hope. When, when was it that you first began to realize you were a sinner? Anybody, anybody tell me? When was it you first realized you were a sinner? I vividly, vividly remember realizing I was a sinner the very first time my mother spanked me. I had done something wrong. I couldn't do anything right afterwards. And it kind of haunts you some of the things you did, doesn't it? I, I remember in first grade, there was a farm setting, and they had little animals. And I don't know why I liked this cow so much. <laughs> but I took that little cow, and I put it in my pocket, and I took it home. And then I'd look at that cow, and I'd feel really guilty. <laughs> I felt bad. I realized I've done something wrong. Isn't it a great thing to know that all those little things you might have done and the big things you might have done are forgiven? Oh, the grace of God. He didn't have to do that. But he sees us in our slavery, doesn't he? That we're a slave to sin. And he gives us hope through the cross. Now, he does something else. Look at Colossians 1.5. In Colossians 1.5, he makes this particular statement. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you have previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. 
heaven. I was just listening. I listened to a lot of Southern gospel music. And uh, I was listening to the song about I'm going to heaven. Can't wait to get there. I'm going to heaven. Doesn't that bring you hope? You know, no wonder in the book of Revelation those words are spo spoken, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I can't wait to see him and him coming and the hope that heaven has for me. There's a song, if I ever get my voice back again, Carol and I and the family want to do a program and and I've prepared some songs, but there's a song by a quartet entitled Heaven Just Got Sweeter. And it's about your loved one who believed in Jesus and they've gone to heaven. And now heaven's gotten sweeter for you because you can go there and you can see them. Uh, Carol sings a song called uh, uh, Carpe Diem, Seize the Day. It's about what was my day like today? Do, do I need to look at my life and repent? Did I make life better for someone today? Seize the day. And then it, it ends with, I have to admit that I haven't done everything I should. Isn't there hope in the cross? Because we can't fix it, people. We can't fix sin. Adam and Eve tried. They couldn't do it. God did it. He fixed it for us. Because he's the only one that knows good and evil. He has the knowledge. We don't. The preaching of the cross produces hope because God does not, cannot fail in carrying out his promise. He is so much stronger than Satan. His plan is so much better. He knows the way. So, last of all, uh, draw all men unto God. Now, that's, that's a kind of interesting scripture, okay? Kind of an interesting scripture. I will draw all men. Take a look at, at that. Uh, let me find it here. Uh, I had it underlined. Okay, John 12, 32. Will you look that up? John 12, 32. And someone read that. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, draw all peoples to myself. Okay, let's decipher this a minute. What's Jesus talking about? If I am lifted up from the earth. He's put on the cross. If he's put on the cross, and if he's lifted up, and the resurrection takes place, because the res resurrection is God's, here's my seal of approval. Here it is. I lift up. He says, if I'm lifted up from the earth, who's going to draw these people? To Jesus. Jesus will. Not powerful preaching. Not persuasive words. Not great wisdom. Just the simple story. And Jesus will draw all men unto himself. All men will have that opportunity. So he, he, he's telling his apostles that that he would die he would die just like Moses took the snake on the pole and lifted it up and anyone who looked at that was saved from the plague 
Jesus is saying, if I be lifted up, he says, I'll draw everyone to the cross. So this symbol of shame, as the old rugged cross song says, this suffering and shame has become something beautiful. And throughout, I, I like this sentence, throughout history, missionaries have not had problems with different cultures and languages responding to the cross, so long as they can explain it in their own language. The heart is always drawn to the cross once the head understands the message. So, this is kind of our lesson today. I realize that's five verses, but I think it's very important that we understand the power of the blood, the power of the cross, and what Jesus did, and why he died the way he did, and why there's life in the blood. So Paul reminds the Corinthians that the power of salvation is the gospel, the good news. Gospel means good news. It's not the gospel preachers. The power of the gospel is the power of the cross. And it has the power to destroy Satan, to create hope, to draw everyone to God. And it is the power of the gospel message, not the messenger. And in a culture where the messenger meant everything, Paul has to really fight and get them to realize the gospel's simple, isn't it? And sometimes, you know, you don't need to be a preacher to tell someone about Jesus. You really don't. Jesus will do the drawing. Any questions? Any remarks, comments? You know, I just, you know, how is this applicable to today? And as you said before we started, you look at you look at what's happening in this world today, not just this virus and the COVID nineteen but certainly all the after effects of the George uh, Floyd situation and the divisions in the country and we've got an election coming up and nobody knows how it's going to, I mean, it, this is probably one of the most difficult times in our history, although there's always been difficult times in our history. But you say, how is the power of the cross applicable today? You know, the solution to what we're seeing now does not lie in any politician, no police officers, no black lives matter movement. It's all very simple. It's all still the power of the gospel. If we would just <laughs> yeah. the power of the cross, this would all take everything would take place would take care of itself. But Satan is still, even though Christ has done all this, Satan is still very powerful. Oh yeah. I truly believe that Satan got in that police officer's head at that time and said, This is gonna really this is gonna do it to you. Let's this, and, and he was of the mind that I'm gonna let it happen. And yeah. now we're just, it just exploded. And, and once again, it's sin. The solution to sin, the solution to a corrupt government, the solution to criminals, the solution to bad cops, Prejudice. racism, the solution can only be found in Christ. And that changing power that he does and the, the point is, we're going to pass a trillion laws, and it's going to do nothing about sin. But what, what does sin do, Tom? It divides, doesn't it? And it, and it works on half-truths or no truth. It, that's, that's his schemes. That's how he works. And until we understand... We're never going to have a perfect world till Jesus comes and those who have received him have been transformed. And that's the frustrating part to me 
is that we, we can pass trillions of laws. <laughs> we can. And it's not going to solve the problem of sin. You know, I, we have a lot of laws about how you can drive. You know, speed limits, right side of the road, don't cross the da-da-da, you know. And you've got to slow down for schools. So we have, and yet people say you can't, you can't legislate morality. No, you can't. That's true. You try the best you can, but you know, sin is still there, isn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, God bless, and uh, have a good day, and just think about the blood, and think about the power of the cross, and what Christ has done for you, and just praise him today. And when that mighty storm comes, <laughs> realize that, that may be powerful, but God is more powerful. You tend to really appreciate the scourging, the scourging that Jesus had. I mean, on the cross, he suffered, and outside of the spear thrust in his side, the blood really wasn't that big of an issue. But the scourging, especially if you watch Mel Gibson's presentation. Oh, I know. The beating and the, and the thorns and the, if you've ever seen those thorns, I mean, three inches is what, and they crammed into your head. Yeah. Yep. Okay. God bless. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. We hope that you will join us at First Christian Church of Malvern, which is located at 4046 Coral Road, Northwest in Malvern, Ohio. May God bless you and have a great day. Yeah.